Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. Welcome, Facebook family. Glad you could join us this morning. Uh, we're going to continue teaching on the signs of the times, and the Bible gives us many warning signs of the last days. The prophets gave us signs, Jesus gave us signs, and apostles gave us signs, and the perfect purpose of signs is to tell us what's ahead, to tell us where we're going and how far we are from there. It's like taking a trip to Nashville. Uh, There'd be signs along the way telling me Nashville 100 miles, Nashville 60 miles, Nashville 20 miles, and then finally I'd come to a sign that says, Welcome to Nashville. But all along the way I have signs showing me that I'm going in the right direction, and not only going in the right direction, but how close I'm getting. And that's the whole purpose of signs. Uh, God gave us warning signs to let us know how close we were getting to the second coming of the Lord. And I know God wants us to know this because Jesus rebuked the religious leaders of his day. If you remember, he said, you can determine the weather by looking at the sky, but you cannot determine the signs of the times. So I don't want the Lord to rebuke me. I want to be able to determine the signs of the time. And that's what we've been doing for the last four or five weeks is looking at signs of the times and signs of the ends. He wants us to know when we're close. He gives us many precise signs of Jesus' first coming. And, uh, you know, the prophets prophesied, and uh, especially the prophet Isaiah, he was one of the most vivid prophets uh, when it comes to messianic prophecies or when it came to predicting what the Lord was going to do. And uh, the Old Testament itself contains 300 or better of prophetic uh, utterances that describe the Messiah, who he is, what he's going to do, and even the New Testament writers quote the Messianic prophecies from the Old Testament more than 130 times. And Jesus even quoted them. They predicted some 1,800 years before it ever happened that Jesus would be born of a virgin and that uh, exactly where he would be born in Bethlehem and why he was born and that he would suffer many things for many people and that they told us that he'd be whipped and even how many lashes he was going to receive. You talk about accuracy. And they said he'd be crucified between two criminals buried in a borrowed tomb, uh, the tomb of, of Joseph of Arimathea, raised from the dead exactly on the third day. I mean, just one prophecy right after another, 1,800 years before it happened. You know the odds of that happening? I can't even give you all the zeros that would be behind it. But as many signs as God gave us that pointed to Jesus' first coming, he gave us eight times as many signs pointing to his second coming. So he, he wants us to know when we're getting close to the Lord returning. Uh, I believe he wants us to know that, that the time is short so that we will pick up the pace. Amen? Get as many souls saved as we can. Uh, it's like running a race. When you see the finish line, what do you do? Take a break? Do you slow down? No, you pick up the pace, you speed up, you run faster. I'm going to talk about my grandson, Ethan. He's, he's turning red already, but he runs cross country. He does a 5K, which is about three and a half miles. But I know for a fact, because he, he stayed with us during the summer, and when he trained, he would train for five miles, not three and a half. He trained for five miles because even though the race was only three and a half miles, he wanted to have plenty left over when he got close to the finish line. He didn't want to just have three and a half miles in his tank and peter out at the end. He wanted to have five miles in his tank, and he wanted to really give it a kick at the end. So we would go to his meets, uh, and they'd be in a park or something like that, and once the race started, we'd, we'd cut across the field. We'd take a shortcut and cut across the field and, and meet him at the one-mile marker or whatever. And when he'd come around there, we'd cheer him on. Go, Ethan, yay, yay. 
And then we would run across the field in another direction and try to get to the two, two-and-a-half-mile marker. And then, hey, Ethan, go ahead, keep it up. You're doing good, you know, and cheer him on. And then finally we'd get back towards the finish line or close to the finish line because that final push, that final cheer, we wanted it to be the best cheer. We really wanted to give him a cheer then. And we wanted him to kick it in and really put it in gear and finish strong, you know. So uh, he'd get to that, close to that finish line, and, and we would start shouting, all right, now, now's the time, kick it in, go on, get it going, you know, and cheer him on so he'd finish strong. And, and, and I believe God saved this generation for last. He's got us here for a reason. We're not here by accident. It's this generation that's had the most training in the Word, has the most technological advances in communications. We can get the gospel out there better than any generation that ever lived before us. And so I believe God picked this time, this generation, this modern-day church to, to uh, uh, cross the finish line. I think that it's like a, what do they call them, race, a relay race, relay race. And I believe that we've been handed the baton for the last leg of the race because we've got the most anointing. We've got the most knowledge, the most revelation. We're ready to finish this thing, wrap it up for Jesus. Amen. And so we're here for a reason. No other generation has been trained in the word like this generation. And the church is anointed for these times. It's empowered for these times. There's, there's a lot of darkness in many places. And this generation has been commissioned to go into all the world, preach the gospel, bring our light into the world, show them some direction, point to the Savior, get them into the kingdom of God before we cross the finish line. And we are close to the finish line. And so... Uh, the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3, you should be familiar with this by now. We've been teaching on it four or five weeks. Well, this will be the fifth week, but last week I tried to get away from it. But there's still just too much more in here for us to look at. So we're going to look at it again, maybe next week again also. I don't know, but uh, five weeks ago we started with 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And uh, so we're going to look at that again. I'll read it in the King James Version. It says, this is Paul to Timothy, and he's saying, This know also, know what? That in the last days perilous times will come. And I want to give you some signs so, so that you'll know when you're in the last days. And verse 2 says, For men should be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. Man, if we don't see this today, I don't know when we're going to see it. It's talking about this generation, this society that we're living in, this culture. And as Paul is listening to signs of the last days here, he gives us one of the most obvious warning signs. He said, for men should be lovers of their own selves. And this is one of the major warning signs. Self-love, self-consumption, selfishness. And Paul tells us that these people that are self-focused, self-consumed, and self-centered, they're lovers of their own selves. And, and it comes from a compound Greek word, it's two words combined in the Greek, and we trans translated it lovers of their own selves. But it, it means actually a romantic attraction, an inordinate self-love or self-preoccupation with one's self. The first part of the word means uh, a romantic attraction. And the second part means it, it is a, an attraction for yourself. And if you think about it a minute, it's sick. That's sick to me that I have a romantic attraction to myself. That just isn't right, amen? So he's telling us that a self-consumed society that is in love with itself is a major sign of the last days. Tell me we're not there. Tell me you don't see it all around you. And check out any social media site, and I joke about this, but I'm going to get into it deeper today because there's a deeper definition and a deeper meaning to this. 
than just being in love with yourself by taking pictures and stuff. But that's a sign of it. And, and I've said it before that, you know, go on a social media site and a lot of people are just totally consumed with themselves. There's pictures of themselves. They're constantly talking about themselves. And, and I call it the unholy trinity. We have the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That's the holy trinity. But this is an unholy trinity because it's me, myself, and I. And you see that a lot on social media. And uh, that's not just it, though, because Paul said they're also covetous, which in the Greek actually means silver or money. And in other words, they have an unnatural affection for money. Just like they love themselves, they love money the same way. And we know the Bible tells us that the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money being evil, it's the love of money that's evil. Money is good. You can buy things with money, with money. You can promote the gospel with money. You can send a missionary somewhere where it's never been preached before, and it takes money. Money pays our bills. Money buys us nice things. There's nothing wrong with money. It's how you use it and the way that you feel about it. If you have an inordinate affection or you love money like you love yourself, you got a problem because God said to love your neighbors as yourself, not your money. So the love of money is the root of all evil. If you find anything evil at the base of it, you're going to find money as the root of all evil. The entire world system is based on money and greed. People lying and cheating and stealing, deceiving others, coming up with all these scams and everything, all to get money out of innocent people. And people are doing anything for money nowadays. I just had a credit card hacked a couple weeks ago. Thank God for the controls they have on these credit cards. Now, they alerted me immediately, said, this looks like a strange transaction here. Did you perform it? And I said, no, sir, I didn't. We'll send you a new credit card. Don't worry about anything. You won't be responsible for any charges that were made. Or anything. That's great. But there are people out there trying to hack you and trying to get in your bank accounts and trying to get in your mailbox and steal your check. Everything that you can think of. Why? Love of money. Money is the motivating factor here. And so, uh, actually, 2 Timothy 3.2, according to Rick Renner, who's a leading authority in the Greek language, he said that you can interpret it like this in the original text. He says, men will be self-absorbed, self-focused, self-centered, self-consumed, and in love with themselves more than anyone else. Yet they even love themselves more than they love their brothers and sisters, more than they love their wives or husbands. And as a result of this self-love, they will hoard money for themselves while they spend very little to help others. That's what it actually means in the Greek. And, and so that's a mouthful. And, and I, I'm going to tell you now, we need to look at our check registers because your check register will tell you where your money goes. And it also tells you where your heart is. Now, I actually looked at my register. We spent a lot of money on food. I, I hate to admit it in front of God and everybody, but uh, we, got, we ha spent a lot of money on groceries and stuff. And, and, you know, when my wife and I are by ourselves, we get something to go a lot because it's just cheaper. It's easier. It's cheaper. I mean, I'm, me and my wife, can, we're not real particular. We can, we can have dinner for 17 bucks at at. Uh, subway or something, you know, and, and we're happy with it. So uh, it's just cheaper sometimes to eat out. But you see a lot of that on our credit card, but you also, or our check register, but you also see a lot of faith, fellowship, church, tithes and offerings, this missionary, Rama, this place. And we give to a lot of charities and stuff like that as well, you know. So uh, we're not all about food. There's other things that we do. And there's things more important than money. And, and uh, you know, Jesus told the religious leaders of his day, he says, sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees. He says, hypocrites. He called them hypocrites. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law like justice, mercy, and faith. And then he says, you should tithe. yes. But do not neglect the more important things. Tithing is important. That's how he supports the church. But God told us in, in Malachi, the third chapter, he says, bring your tithes and offerings 
to the storehouse. And in other words, you know, support the church with your tithes. Let the church pay their bills, the lights, the, the heat, the air, the everything, the mortgage, everything needs to be paid. But then bring offerings as well to help the poor and send forth missionaries and help support other ministries. And we do that as well with the church's income. Even out of the tithe, we tithe to other ministries. And so God wants to keep it going and keep things moving and stuff like that, you know. But uh, there are things that are more important than just than money itself. And Apostle Paul tells us in the last days that in addition to that, people who are will be boasters, proud, blasphemers. In other words, they will lie, cheat, deceive, do whatever they have to do to make themselves better just to get what they want. Promote my agenda. In other words, he said they will stop at nothing. They will step on anyone and will stoop to unbelievable lows just to promote their agenda and what they want. And I don't know why, but politicians come to mind for some reason. But then Paul mentions the word proud. And he means someone who is brass, someone who has their nose in the air and an I know better than you attitude. And they feel like they're superior to everyone else. They have an arrogant, haughty, high minded and, and mighty, insolent attitude. And I know all the women are looking at their men right now, but just look straight ahead and smile and nobody know I'm talking about you. But, but look at our society. We have people thinking they have the right to impose their agenda on you, their beliefs on you. It's my way or the highway. I don't like what you believe, so you're going to just have to adapt to what I believe. And you see this in this generation, and it's one of the signs Paul said that we would have. Uh, you know, you must believe the way that I believe, and you must embrace the things that I embrace. If you don't, there's something wrong with you, and they'll even call you a name. Uh, you know, I don't mind someone having different beliefs and ideologies. What I do mind is when they force them on me. Amen. You know, I use that word they, and I know you might think I'm talking about a political organization or, or something like that, but I'm not. When I say they, I'm talking about those that are diametrically opposed to God and the things of God, the laws of God. That's the they's that I'm talking about. Amen. I don't care what color they are. I don't care what political affiliation they have. I don't know. I don't care where they came from. When I say they, I'm talking about people that oppose God. Amen. And, and you know, so uh, if you don't believe the way I believe, something's wrong with you. Not me. That's what they're saying to me. But they don't want prayer in school. Great. Then don't pray when you go to school. I happen to like praying in school. So if you don't mind, I'll just keep praying. Oh, wait, I can't because it's against the law now. It's illegal to pray in school. I never had a choice. It was forced on me. They took prayer out of school and replaced it with violence and murder. They don't want Bibles in school. Good then, don't take a Bible to school. I happen to want to take a Bible to school. Oh, wait, I can't. It's illegal. I don't remember voting on that. But they allow them in prisons. Maybe if they left the Bibles and the prayer in school where it belonged, well, I can't get political. I'm not going to get political this morning. They don't want the Pledge of Allegiance to our flag in the schools or any public places because it mentions God by name. So it's offensive to them. Well, it's offensive to me when you say something bad about my God. And, you know, if you don't like saying the Pledge of Allegiance, don't say it. I like to, I like to say I, I, I'm going to continue doing it. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> it's illegal for me to Pledge of Allegiance in the schools. Do you get the picture? You see what I'm saying? And, and, you know, they legalize and promote abortion, which I'm opposed to, and then make me pay for it through taxes. They promote the LGBTQ lifestyle, which I'm opposed to, because God is opposed to it. I'm not opposed to LGBTQ people. I'm opposed to the sin, just like I'd be opposed to any sin, even my sins. I'm opposed to them. 
I love people. I don't love the sin. Amen? So make sure you quote me right on that. But, you know, but then they make it illegal for me to express my beliefs. They can say and do whatever they want, but when I express my beliefs, it's wrong, and they call me names for it. Again, I'm not talking about a political party. I'm talking about people that are opposed to the God that I serve. Amen? Amen. They, they remove the Ten Commandments from courthouses of the land, and they like nothing better than, than to totally remove God from our land. And they're working diligently to do it. And they like to take our guns away because that's the first step in a process to control us and, and make the gov- government rule over us. The only thing that keeps the government in check is that they know that there is an armed militia out there in the land and they don't want to mess with them. Amen? Amen? Take them guns away and the government will have their way. And then he says these people will be blasphemers. Blasphemers. It means that they'll be discourteous slanderous, abusive, degrading, and debasing to anyone that doesn't agree with them. Tell me you don't see it. And blasphemy is when you call something good that's bad and and call something bad good. Something holy, unholy, like saying that Jesus isn't perfect. Well, I got news for you. If he wasn't perfect, we might as well just take our Bibles out back Start a bonfire, have a weenie roast and make s'mores and then go home and never come back again. Because if he wasn't perfect and we're not saved, our salvation is in vain. No, he was perfect. He is perfect. Or his sacrifice would have never been accepted. So I take offense to that. But if I called a reporter, it wouldn't even make the news. Amen. But you can say something bad about Jesus, bad about my God, and it will make headlines. And again, I'm not trying to be political this morning, but I had to say all of that because this is exactly what Paul is telling us to look for. And if we don't know what to look for, how are we going to know when we see it? So we're at this time. I mean, it's a sign of the end, and we're right in the middle of it. Paul said this end-time society... In this end-time society, that children would be disobedient to their parents. Can you imagine that? Not my little angels. But that word disobedient in the Greek means to be unpersuadable, uncontrollable, and unable to lead. They can't be led. So it means that parents can no longer persuade, control, lead, or exercise authority over their children. It's almost against the law to do that. But you see it everywhere you go. Children misbehaving in grocery stores, restaurants, waiting rooms at the doctor's office, banks, lobbies, or any other place that you take children. They're terrorizing the place, and the parents don't have any control over them. And and instead of the parents exercising their God-given authority over their children, you see them negotiating with them negotiating with a child, arguing with a child, trying to make a point with a child, trying to sell a child on something that you know is right. They give them vain threats and say that they're going to spank them and they're going to do this and they're going to tell their father and they never carry out one threat. They're trying to talk them into something, trying to bribe them into doing what's right and trying to bribe them into behaving. I've seen with my own eyes and heard with my own ears children stomp their feet and say disrespectful things to their parents. And in some cases, I've actually even seen small children kick their parents in the legs, in the shins. And the parents, no recourse whatsoever. Uh, Matter of fact, I, I seen it one time and I turned away. I was embarrassed when the parents should have been embarrassed and they weren't embarrassed in the least. They acted as if that was something that was normal. Teenagers threatening their parents with physical harm if they don't get their way. Ordering their parents around, telling them what they better do or else. The whole time they're living in their basement, their parents' basement. And Paul said the day was coming when parents would surrender their parental authority 
to the rule of their children. And it is here today. People are doing that now. Uh, they're no longer able to persuade, control, lead, or exercise their parental authority over their children because CFS will come and take them away. Let them come. But I'll tell you one thing, in the Brunzo house, we never believed in negotiating, number one, with terrorists, and number two, with children. Because there's no difference. <laughs> Rule number one in the, in the Brunzo house is when we couldn't persuade them with words, we had a board that we persuaded them with. We had a persuader. And I told you about it before, I even showed it one day on... on when I was preaching, I don't know, a month or so ago, it's a paddle about three-quarters an inch thick, about 18 inches long, and it says right on there, Board of Education. And that board majors in physical education. And, and you know, when our children demonstrated a lack of self-control, me and the board quickly persuaded them back under control. And when children are unleadable, because that's what it says, they'll be unleadable. You'd be amazed at how well they can be led when you grab one of their ears and drag them through the house. Said, I said, clean that bedroom. Oh, they'd be led easily like that. I'm telling you. They're like, you can lead them. Amen. And when I acted like I couldn't exercise my parental authority over them or when they acted like I couldn't do it, well, I refer you back to rule number one, the board. Of course, you could be arrested for some of these things nowadays. Disobedience to, to parents, not in my house. Our family had history with the mafia. Those kids would disappear. And I'd tell God they ran away. And then I'd tell God, don't bother looking for them. And God wouldn't. Amen. Paul, Paul prophesied that it would be like this in the last days. And it is. It's here. I mean, this is what's going on in the world. But the Bible says we're not, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. That shouldn't be going on in our houses, in our households. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't care what anybody else thinks, what anybody else does. We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to follow the Lord's rules. And we're going to see that they're enforced in our house. Our house, our rules. Amen. Amen. And, and, you know, we have to take heed to Paul's words and take action to protect our families and to defend our beliefs no matter what the world is doing. We can't be going along with the world. Uh, we have to be doers of the word and we have to let our light shine in this dark world because we have to live the gospel in front of these people that are in darkness. They have to be able to see a light. We have to be able to give them some direction. And when you're living and acting just like they are, they don't want to hear what you've got to say. They want to see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven, not hear your good works. And, you know, we can't allow what's going on in the world to cause us to draw back in fear because I've been preaching on it since this COVID thing broke out and I'm still dealing with people that are in fear and we cannot be in fear. You can't be in faith and you can't be in fear at the same time. You either have faith in God and his word or you don't. And if you don't, you're going to be in fear. Fear is going to run all over you. It's going to control you. It's going to paralyze you. See, we're anointed to live in these times. We're empowered to live in these times. These things ain't, didn't catch God by surprise. He knew they were coming. He knew that we were going to be here when they came. Amen. Amen. And I'm going to tell you, I'm tired of people saying, oh, God put me in a storm because he wants to strengthen me and teach me something. God don't put people in storms. The devil creates the storms, and he creates them for one purpose, and that is to kill you. There's no other reason for you to be in a storm. Your job in a storm is to use the word of God and use your faith to get out of the storm and overcome the storm. Amen. Quit making excuses for the devil. He brought that storm. He's the one that kills, steals, and destroys, not God. God only does good things. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, we're anointed and empowered to bring hope, comfort, and peace to, to this world, this world that's in turmoil right now. 
People are wandering about in darkness in these last days, and we should be showing them the light. We should be giving them direction and giving them guidance and showing them the way to Jesus. But we're not. Why? We're here and we're intimidated by what's going on. That's why you won't wear your Trump hat. Erase that. I mean, edit that out, Brother Darrell. I mean, we become fearful and timid. We're afraid to let our light shine because we might be ridiculed or made fun of. And so rather than let our light shine, we put it under a bushel so nobody can see it. We're, we're uh, we camouflage Christians. Christians, uh, we're covert Christians. <laughs> Undercover Christians. And we don't want our identity to be exposed. Give me a break. We don't want to stand up or fight for what we believe. Everybody else is fighting for what they believe. They're doing whatever they can to express their beliefs, and we're hiding under a bushel. You know, that's why we lost so many of our rights in the school and public places and the courthouses. We lit it. We let the devil run us over without a fight. We didn't even fight. Well, Pastor, don't you know you're supposed to turn the other cheek? Yes, only for persecution. That's it. Jesus didn't turn the other cheek in the temple that day when he overturned the money changers and kicked everybody out of the temple. One man, a temple full of thieves and robbers, and he kicked them all out. That ain't turning the other cheek. I, I, you know, I, I'm pretty familiar with the Bible. I don't know very much about it. But I know enough to know that there's no other place in the Bible tells you to turn the other cheek except for persecution. So there are things going on in the earth right now that's filled men's hearts with fear. Women's hearts too. Mankind's filled with fear. But it shouldn't ought to be like that in the church. You shouldn't be full of fear. You should be full of faith. And I believe that part of this worldwide assault has been the devil's attempt to put believers in fear so they won't walk upright, they won't stand upright, they won't fight for the things that they believe in, and they won't be a witness for God in these end times. That's his plight. That's what he wants to do is stop us from being an effective witness for the Lord. And we need to use wisdom in these last days and do what we can to protect ourselves and protect our families, but we shouldn't react in fear. Fear is never the answer, and it paralyzes our faith, and it results in unclear thinking and bad decisions. Unclear thinking and bad decisions. You know, they were interviewing Mike Tyson one time, and I don't know what you think about Mike Tyson, but he was one heck of a boxer. He had a punch like a mule. But they, they asked him, when you go in the ring, he says, do you have a plan? He said, yeah, I have a plan. But he said, in his little mealy mouth voice, he says, but as soon as you get hit in the mouth, it goes out the window. <laughs> so, you know, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, and then now their plan ain't no good anymore, you know. They can't think straight anymore. Fear comes in and stuff, you know. But we can't allow that to happen to us. And that's why Paul even started to warn the church about the condition of the last days in his letter to Timothy, just two chapters before this, the same letter. He says in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. The King James says power, love, and a sound mind. That's what God gave us. The devil's given us fear, but God's given us the opposite of that. He's given us power, love, and a sound mind. And, and it, but if God isn't the one giving the fear, then who is? Amen. It's the devil. We should be able to discern that and know who it is, who's doing what. Amen? Amen. But th- there's things going on in the earth right now that have men's hearts filled with fear. And, and where do they come from again? The devil. And the Bible tells us in Luke 21, men will be afraid and worried about what will happen to the world. Everything in the sky will be changed. The King James said be shaken. Anything that can be shaken will be shaken. But you're in an unshakable kingdom. As long as you're a child of God and you're in the kingdom of God, you cannot be shaken. This world is going to be shaken, not you. 
The COVID-19 is the devil's attempt to put believers in fear so they won't walk in faith and victory and they won't be a witness for the Lord. Jesus said in John 14:1. now pay close attention here. It says, do not let your hearts be troubled, distressed, or agitated. What did he say? Do not. You believe in, adhere to, and trust in, and rely on God. Believe in, adhere to, and trust in, and rely also on me. That's what's going to keep your heart from being troubled, putting your trust in him. And then in verse 27, the same chapter, uh, chapter 14, Jesus said this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. See, he don't give us fear. He gives us peace. He says, I give to you not as the world gives do I give to you. And again, he says this, do not, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let it be afraid. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not let it be afraid. I wonder what that means. See, we have to believe that we have the ability to do this because he's given us his peace. Rather than having fear, we should have peace. Rather than having timidity, we should have boldness when it comes to God. Uh, you know, we do have the ability to resist fear and not allow ourselves to get agitated or become afraid. Or he wouldn't have told us, do not be afraid. Do not let your heart be troubled. He wouldn't tell us that if we couldn't help it. So most Christians don't believe this. They believe that everybody is going to have their share of troubles. And they're going to have their share of worries, and they're going to get into fear at times, and it's perfectly normal to be in fear. No, it's not normal. That's what the world thinks, but it's not normal for you to be in fear. God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. He said, do not, do not, do not do it. Don't get in fear. Don't let your heart be troubled. I mean, he wouldn't have told us that if we weren't able to control the emotion of fear. You know, Medal of Honor recipients, heroes, I call them. They don't mean much to this society, but they're heroes to me. A man that won the Medal of Honor, the highest honor of our country. Uh, he wins a Medal of Honor. He's a hero to me. I respect him to no end. And... Every time they're interviewed by reporters or something, somebody always asks them, you know, uh, how could you be so fearless? How come you wasn't afraid? He, they, everyone, without exception, say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I was afraid. I was in fear. I just overcame my fear. I just, uh, I just uh, didn't allow myself to stay in fear. I, I, re, I, I felt the fear, and I said, nope, I'll control you. And that's what caused me to do what I did to win this medal. Amen. I, none of them was ever not in fear. If they weren't in fear, there was something wrong with them. Fear is a natural emotion. God gave us that emotion like he has every other emotion, but he expects us to control it like he expects us to control our other emotions as well. Amen. Amen. We have to be able to overcome our fears, overcome our emotions, so that we can think clearly. You know, getting punched in the mouth, your plan goes out the window. Well, you have to be able to get punched in the mouth and still have a plan. Amen. Amen. You know, fear has a lot to do with the things that you let yourself watch or listen to, and especially what you let your mind think on and dwell on. This, this all plays a key role in fear. Fear has to be placed into you. And the Bible says in Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Why? Because he trusts you. If you have your mind on him, you should be in perfect peace. Amen? Amen. Uh, we should control what we look at. We should control what we listen to. We should control what we think on. We should control our minds, our bodies, our emotions. These things belong to you. Who else is going to be responsible for him? I can't be responsible for your feelings. I can't be responsible for how you act and how you express your emotions. That's your job. It's your mind. It's not the devil's mind. It's your mind. You control it. It's your body. You control it. It's your emotions. You control them. And, you know, people say, well, sometimes I just lose control. Said everyone in prison that committed a violent crime. 
I lost control. Whose fault is that? Who's in control of you? Anyway, we find ourselves troubled or afraid. And Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. I wonder what that means. We'll have to do a study on that someday. Find out what it means. But we let fear into us. And we let ourselves do it. And we've allowed ourselves to be afraid. And like I said, it's okay to be afraid. Fear will, will warn you of an impending danger. It'll say, uh-oh, wake up, something's about to happen. But after that, you've got to figure out what's going on, and you have to act appropriately. And you can't as long as you stay in fear. Your plan went out the window. Thoughts will come, feelings will come, but we don't have to let them stay in us. You know, Brother Hagen always used to say, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop him from making a nest in your hair. And that's the way it is with thoughts. You know, you can't stop the thoughts from coming, but you can stop them from building a nest in your mind. Amen. Amen. Uh, David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear how much evil? No evil. None. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid. David had that revelation back in the Psalm 23rd Psalm. He said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. No reason to have fear, should have peace. Jesus is walking with you. He's got a rod and a staff and all authority, all power in the whole universe. And you're in fear? You're going to see and hear a lot of stuff in the valley. But you don't have to let it become a part of you. You don't have to let it get into you. What did David say? I will fear no evil. How much evil? None. No evil. You don't have to be afraid. To allow fear into you or dominate you, you will allow the enemy to work in your life just like faith opens the door and allows God to work in your life. They're diametrically opposed. Fear moves the enemy. Faith moves God. And they never switch places. Job said, the thing I feared has come upon me. It's a spiritual law. The thing you fear is going to come upon you someday. I know people that walk around in fear that they might catch cancer or might get cancer or they might catch this COVID or they might get the flu or they might. They're in fear over it. And Jesus said, do not let COVID-19 trouble your heart. Do not be afraid of it. Yea, though COVID-19 is in the valley. You don't have to be afraid of it because I'm with you. I'll protect you. See, you know, fear is a magnet that opens doors to the enemy. Faith, on the other hand, is a magnet that opens doors to God and lets God in. You want God to come in and work on your behalf? Open the door of faith. You want the devil to come in, slam the door of faith, and open the door of fear. Because they both can't be open at the same time. You either open the door of fear or you open the door of faith. Make up your mind. Amen. Amen. And there's no doubt that we're living in some of the most challenging days that the world has ever seen to this point. They're going to get worse. But to this point, I've never been challenged like I am right now. You haven't been challenged like you are right now. But we can face these times victoriously because God has given us not a spirit of fear or timidity, but power, love, and a sound mind. God gave us those things. He's given you the promises of his word, and he's given you the leadership of his spirit. What's leading you? We are the sons of God. They that are the sons of God are led by the spirit of God. Not the spirit of the devil, not by the things that's going on in the world, not by fear. We should be being led by the spirit of God. Amen. Amen. So, you know, uh, God has given us everything we need to be victorious at this time. He's anointed us for this time. Like I said, it didn't catch him by surprise. We're here because we're supposed to be here. 
Now, hopefully in the weeks to come, I'm going to get into some other signs. Like, you know, like in, in Luke chapter 21 and Matthew 24, he talked about a fig tree, and that fig tree is Israel. And he says, when you see the fig tree blossom or the fig tree bloom, know that the, the time is at hand. And, and so he says, when you see Jerusalem, uh, the Jews return to Israel and Jerusalem uh, raised back up again, know that the time is near. And so, you know, Israel became a nation or the fig tree blossomed in 1948. And then Jerusalem was won back in 1967. That's the generation we're living in. And Jesus said that this generation, the generation that is living to see those two things come to pass, will not pass away until they see the Lord's return. This generation. Well, I know somebody that died. Yeah, but I'm talking about the whole generation. The generation that is living today, the generation that's seen Israel become a nation again and seen Jerusalem won back is the same generation that's going to see the Lord return. Amen. That's how close we are. This generation. I don't know how long a generation is. It could be anywhere from 40 years to 120 years. But this generation, the generation we're living in right now, is going to see Jesus return. Amen. Amen. And that's why it's, more, it's so important that we know the signs and we see the signs as they're, as they're coming up. Because signs eventually turn into signals. And I've been on the highway going to Nashville, and all of a sudden I finally reach Nashville. It says, Nash, welcome to Nashville. Now I'm seeing expressways. I'm seeing uh, signs. I'm seeing signals, stop and go lights. I'm seeing different things. Now why? Because I'm in it now. So we're getting to the place where we're going to see signals, not just signs, but signals. And, and hopefully I'll be able to bring some of them out, the Lord willing. I'll be able to bring some of them out in the, in the near coming weeks. But never has there been a more crucial time for you to operate in faith and not in fear and to believe for a mighty move of God. I mean, the world has been believing in a mighty move of disaster, a mighty move of the devil, a mighty move of this and that and other things. Why can't we believe for a mighty move of God? A move of God would be much greater than what the devil can do. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I'm believing for a move of God. I don't care about all this other. Well, I care, but I'm saying that I'm not going to let all this stuff that's going on in the world right now, going on in our country, going on in our society, and, and I don't have to mention what they are. I'm not going to let that affect me. I'm going to stay focused on the finish line. And I'm going to keep pointing you to the finish line every week until we get to it. And then you'll thank me for it. Amen. Amen. You'll say, I'm so glad Pastor pointed me to the finish line because I was going in the wrong direction. Nashville is south. I was going north. I would have never got to Nashville. Thank God somebody turned me around and told me Nashville is south of here. Because so, I didn't see any signs going towards Indianapolis and Chicago that said Nashville. But now that I'm turned around going in the right direction, I see the signs. I know where I'm going. I know how far I am, and I know when I'm going to get there. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you, first of all, because we're here, because you chose us to be here at this time for this purpose, to let our light shine in a dark world to show people the way to Jesus, to give them the guidance they need to get to the Savior and, and to win souls to the kingdom of God. But in order to do this, Lord, we need to be filled with faith, faith and not fear. So fill us today with faith, Lord. Fill us with strength. Fill us with boldness. God, you told us to come boldly before your throne of grace and, and, and receive help and mercy in our time of need. Well, if we can come boldly to the throne of grace, which would be normally the scariest place in the world, then we should certainly be able to come to the world boldly. Hallelujah. And we should be able to proclaim the word of God boldly and without fear and timidity. And, and to everybody that, that needs to hear the word of God, we should be able to do it in these last days. That's what we're here for. Jesus said, look on the fields, they're white, all ready to harvest. But he said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the Sabo 
goeth the Lord of the harvest, that he would send laborers into the harvest field. That's what we're here for. We're the laborers that everybody's been praying for down through the generations and down through the years in the church. This is the generation. This is the generation of laborers that's going to be thrust into that final harvest field before the rapture of the church to gather in as much fruit into the kingdom of God as we can possibly gather. So we thank you that we're here. It's a privilege. We praise you. We give you glory and honor. And Lord, I ask you to touch each and every one that's here today. Touch our Facebook family, those that are listening. We know there's no distance in the spirit. You can send your word and heal everybody in the world. So we don't have a problem with distance. We don't have to be in the same room with them. God, we send your word. We send the word of healing that said, by the stripes of Jesus, we were healed. We send that word today, Lord, into the houses and living rooms of our Facebook family. All throughout this building, healing, healings in this place right now, Lord. We send the gospel. We send the word of God concerning the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ dying for us and being raised from the dead for us. We thank you, Lord, that each and every one that hears this broadcast has either already accepted you or they're thinking about it. The invitation is out there, and we thank you and praise you for that, Lord. God, we ask you to heal our brothers and sisters in the hospitals, uh, especially those that have contracted this nasty disease called COVID-19. Heal them and raise them up, God, in Jesus' name. Give them the victory. Give us the victory over this COVID-19, Lord. And God, I pray that you allow the right party, the right person to find this miraculous vaccine. I pray that it comes from somebody that can be trusted. I pray that it comes even from your people, your chosen people, the apple of your eye, Israel. And I thank you, Father, it will come about quickly and we'll put an end to this thing so that we can get back to the business of growing the kingdom of God without any type of hindrance. We thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, God bless your Facebook family. I hope you enjoyed this message. We'll see you again Wednesday and then, Lord willing, next Sunday as well. God bless you. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.